We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 this morning. So if you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn there, Romans chapter 8. Before we start reading the word, why don't we go to him in prayer. Father, this morning we ask that you would speak to us. We ask that as we read your words that you have given us, that have revealed your character, that have revealed your integrity, your faithfulness, your steadfast love for us, that the Spirit would teach our hearts this morning to be more like your Son. That you would continue to, as we mentioned before, show us the things in our own lives that we need to change to become more like Christ. Continue to show us how your sacrifice impacts the way that we live our lives. And it changes us changes who we are. Father, we pray that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our minds, you would open our ears, you would open our eyes. As we look at your word, as David said, that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Romans chapter 8 this morning. As we go through chapter 8, I'm going to be a little ambitious this morning as we work our way through this, looking at Paul's writing to the Romans, to the people, talking about the hope this morning that we have in Christ, the hope that comes because of his sacrifice, what God has done for us, what God has called us to. Paul does a, an awesome job doing that in all of his writings. And so we'll look at other passages that come in line with his teaching here. My prayer that as we go through Romans 8 this morning, that we see how God is, is there, how Christ is apparent, what he has done this morning. Verse 1 of Romans chapter 8, There is... Therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. As we go through this passage this morning, we're going to break at a couple of spots, talk about a little bit of what 
Paul is saying in his letter this morning and try to unpack it a little bit. But what he says is very profound. What he says is encouraging. What he says can sometimes be misunderstood. And we want to make sure that we're clear this morning in terms of what he is saying. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. One of the things that Paul talked prior to this chapter to them was about what the law had done, what the law does do. When we talk about the law, we, a number of things are at play can talk about the specific Mosaic law, the things that are contained in the Torah, the first five books. It can refer to the Ten Commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai. It's the things contained in uh, the prophets as well. As Jesus said, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God, as we talked about last week. He said all of the law and the prophets hang on these two things. Talking about everything that is contained within this. So he's talking about the requirements of the law. Under the law, back in Genesis, right, we read the story of Adam and Eve, and God gave them a decree, you know, be fruitful and multiply, take the land, you know, you are to uh, be generous, you have authority over all the beasts, over everything, you work as well, work was not a part of the fall. Just the pain and toil of work was a part of the fall. But he had all of these commands, and the one thing he said was to not eat of this tree. But he broke that law, and sin entered the world, and God made the decree to him, if you do this, you will surely die. And the day you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And that is what Paul is referring to in here is that you have been set free from the law of sin and death. You sin, you die. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. The penalty for sin, for the wages of sin, is death. Death. Not just physical death, spiritual death. Eternal separation from God. But because of Christ Jesus, he says, you have been set free in Christ Jesus from the law of the spirit of life. There is another law at work, one that comes from God himself, the law of the spirit of life, the law that comes to us through Christ Jesus. And that is what Paul is trying to unpack with them, that if you know Christ, there's now, therefore now no condemnation. There's means there's no one who can come against you, and he's going to talk about this later, there's no one that can come against you and say, I render a guilty verdict against you, or you deserve this because of this. What he's saying is the blood of Jesus has covered your sin because Christ was perfect. He said, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. The phrase is very important. In the likeness. What we learn is as we are born into this, all of us are born with a sinful nature. Every one of us comes through the seed of Adam. Everyone born into the lineage of 
Adam, but what is different about Christ? We just read this morning in Luke. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, You will be with child. How can this be? I've never been with a man. I've never lain with a man. How can I become pregnant? You will become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. God entered the world through the womb of a woman to take on the likeness of man, in the image of man, in the likeness of sinful flesh, but not having sin. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and first sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. What's the righteous requirement of the law? Death. What did Christ do for us? He died. Right? He satisfied the righteous requirement of the law. The law was good. The law was perfect. There was nothing wrong with the law of God. What was wrong was us. What was wrong was our sin. But God came into this world in the image of man, in the likeness of man, taking on flesh, becoming sin for us, and dying in our place. What good news is that, as we remember the birth of Christ, that this, our God, would deem himself, would humble himself to the point where he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to be born as a baby. I pray that as we celebrate this season each and every year, that is not lost on you. That the creator of all that we see, of us ourselves, the magnificent one, the awesome one, the mighty one, the majestic one, said, I'm going to be born like them. I'm going to live like them. And I'm going to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. And I'm going to restore my relationship with them. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. What are the things of the flesh? Many times in scriptures, you can read it in numerous spots, what that is. But if you uh, remember Galatians Chapter 5, if you want to turn there, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19. Another of Paul's letters to the Galatian church. He says in Galatians 5, 19, And now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In all of Paul's letters to Christian believers, he points them that out to all of them, saying, This is what you formerly were. These are the things of the flesh. But God has not called you to live in the sinful flesh you once were. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Back to Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Yeah. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He reminds them that they are called by God to this, that if we have the Spirit of God living in us, this is what He has called us to. He has removed us from the darkness. He has removed us from our sinful behavior. And He has transferred us into His kingdom and has given us His Spirit. For to set the mind, verse 6, on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. This is what I mentioned this morning as we were talking about praying for the nation of Zambia. What we need to be in prayer for is the spirit to be sent by God to quicken our spirits, to quicken the, peop the people of Zambia, to quicken their spirits, to quicken to mean to make alive, to take what is dead that has no life and to give it life. Because apart from God, we can do nothing. There's no way for us to come to God. It's God who first makes the move towards us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says this. He tells the Corinthian church, he says, Even if our gospel is veiled, if the good news is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So you know, unbelievers have a few things against them. One, we have the sin in our lives. Our sin keeps us from knowing God. We talked about that. That comes in Romans. In the book of Romans, it talks about that, about the creation declares the majesty, declares the glory of God, declares His evidence, yet we push that knowledge down, we refuse to acknowledge it. We like our sin, we want to be in our sin, we don't please God, we don't want anything to do with Him. And you also have the God of this world, you have the, those that principalities and authorities and things that are directly opposed to God working against you as well, trying to fight the Lord, even though it is a losing battle. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
as we think on those things, as we think as we come in contact with unbelievers, as we share the gospel, as we talk about suffering for Christ's sake, as we talk about as a Christian you will suffer when you share the good news, when you share the gospel, that comes into play because what you have is you will be speaking to somebody and they are an unbeliever, but you don't know whether the Spirit has quickened their spirit or not. God still calls us to preach to declare the gospel, to share the good news, but we don't know. But what Scripture tells us, when we come in direct contact, it's hostile to God. We will face hostility because people have not been quickened by the Spirit. But when you teach and preach the gospel and share it with others and their spirit has been quickened, what joy and comfort there is in knowing that and seeing somebody it's a reaction. When you tell them of Christ's birth, of Christ's life and death and resurrection, and you see just the, the veil being lifted from their eyes. How great is our God. That, one, that he saves any of us. But then that when we are saved, he then takes us and uses us as instruments for his purpose, so that others may come to know. And we get to share in that. We get to see that at work, that as somebody else who shared it with us, they saw how our spirits were made alive. And then you get to be on the other end of that and see that in somebody else's life. It's amazing. Oh, that God would do that more in our our own lives, in our families' lives. As, as we pray and, and as we come even on Wednesday nights and, and lift our voices to, the God, to God as we come on Sundays and we lift our prayers as we meet as a worship team and we pray and we lift our voice to God and we seek His heart, it's no more clear that of us gathered here, many of us have family members, relatives, children, parents, spouses who don't know God. I tell you, church, we pray that God would reconcile them to himself. We pray. We pray that they would not remain hostile to God, that they would not continue to submit to his law, that they would not continue to be a displeasure, but that they would be, as Paul is telling his hearers here, you have been called out of that life. You, however, verse 9, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to you. Sorry, to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Not our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. One of the greatest things one of the greatest gifts God has given us is you would read the Old Testament and you would look at the believers. They were hoping 
for something to come in the future. They were certain of it. It's much talks about faith. Abraham's faith, Moses' faith, Noah's faith. These great men, as you read in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Fame, as we like to call it, talking about these men' faith. They hoped in God for what they were assured would come to pass. But when you look at the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was something that would come and go. God would give them His Spirit for a time, for a season. It wasn't something that continually dwelt within them. But when Christ came to live among us and be among us, and Christ died, one of the things he said is, no longer is it going to be like the old way, but I'm going to write it on your hearts. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to give you my spirit, is going to live in you. And so because of the Spirit of God living within us, our hope is just as Christ lived and died and was raised by the power of God, that we too, our hope is that though we struggle, though we toil, though we have sin, though we continue on in this life with all of its issues and complaints, our hope is the fact that our Savior came and died, but was resurrected to new life. And that He has promised that to us. He says, our mortal bodies, through His Spirit, will be given life. And we get that immediately when we become a Christian. We get the Spirit and we get life. We please God. We're able to please God by being obedient children. We're able to do that. But we ultimately realize this when we pass from this earth and we come into his presence. And what a day that will be when we are in the presence of God. We eagerly await, as we're talking about Advent, as we celebrate his first coming, we eagerly anticipate his second Advent, his second coming. Because it ushers in, it heralds the new kingdom, it heralds the time when Christ will reign. We're not going to get into all the things that transpire in there, but what Scripture says is there will come a time after His reign when everything that we see will be wiped away and He will make a new heavens and a new earth, one that there is no sin, there is no pain, there is no misery. And we get to enjoy Him Forever. Church, this morning, I hope that brings you hope. I hope that brings you great joy and comfort as we celebrate this season. So then, brothers, verse 12, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits, with our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The hope that Paul is reminding his hearers about that is that, one, we can be assured part of this is when he seals you with the Holy Spirit, you're sealed. There is no losing your salvation. He is very particular in the fact that he says, if. He says, part of it is, make sure that you are part of the family. Be sure of that. And elsewhere in Scripture it talks, how do we know that we are part of the family? But what he says is, you have been sealed by the Spirit. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that we do not have the spirit of slavery. Paul would talk to Timothy, one of his uh, protégés, young man that was coming, that he would have placed as a leader of the church. And he would tell him, you know, God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love. He hasn't given us the spirit to say, hey, I want to go back to where I came from. All, all this is, is great, but God, you know, I just I love my sin so much, God. I just I don't want anything to do with, with that. That's not being born along by the spirit. That's not living in the spirit. That's not being led by the spirit to go back and be content in our sin. If we know Christ. We should never be content in our sin. Our sin should always cause us. We know we sin. It's not as if we're sinless, but we should never be content in our sin. We should never be at a point where we say, you know what? It's, I've always dealt with this. I'm always going to deal with it. It's never going to change. It's never going to matter. It's ne That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says, in Christ Jesus, you have been set free. Free from the bondage of sin. Free from the chains that bound you. We are called his children. We are called heirs with all of the rights and privileges of Christ because it is his righteousness that covers us. And he talks about suffering, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. As he talks to the believers about having life in the spirit, about living this life for the glory of God. He knows that we will have struggles. We will have people coming and speaking to us and ridiculing us. Many of the things that he went through in his ministry, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked. He was mocked. He was beaten. But for all of those things, he would tell the people, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, verse 18, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. What is he talking about? It's back to that reference of Genesis. Back to the beginning when God created everything. And he says it is good. There was nothing wrong with God's creation. 
But he gave Adam and Eve the opportunity to be obedient. And they disobeyed. And because of it, creation, all of creation, all of the things that was created was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but it was part of the curse. The curse that the pronouncement of judgment by God himself. That is what Paul is talking about. But he says this, Who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves. Much like we see this world, even it was mentioned this morning, you had the earthquake in Alaska. I think David said it was a, a magnitude 7 and then a, and a 5 came after it. You have create, That's part of creation's subjection to futility. That it groans. That we have, whether it's earthquakes, tsunamis, natural disasters, all of these things, that's part of creation's futility. Groaning together in the pains of child, much like that, we ourselves, we groan as well. Not only the creation, but we ourselves. It's longing for the time when Christ returns. Who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What he's saying is we eagerly await when we're not in this state of suffering, of pain, of anguish, when we're not subjected to sin and all of its atrocities. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Peter talks about this as well in 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, it tells this, talking about this hope that we have, not hope that is seen, not that we haven't visualized this with our own eyes, who hopes for what he sees. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. What is he, he said part of being a Christian is our faith. Not only do we go through trials and tribulations and different things, we come through oppression of the enemy, we have attacks from people that are hostile to God, but 
there's also a testing of our genuineness of faith. There's also a period where God allows things in our lives for specific reasons to show us. Are we a part of the family or not? Do we know God or not? That through the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The hope that he discusses is the fact that this is assurance. Like I said, it's not as the world hopes. Many As we read scripture, you realize the love we talk about that is in God, it's not as the world loves. The hope that we have in God is not as the world hopes. God is directly counterculture to this world because this world is ruled by sin. And we have been called out of that life. And we have been given the Spirit. I'm going to end with reading the last part of 8 here. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. God knows we're still weak. God knows we need Him. God knows that on our own we are not up to the task. But the fact is He has given us His Spirit. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Encouragement, that is. You ever been in a, you have no idea what to pray for, you have no idea what to do, you feel, but... Scripture tells us, look, the Spirit is interceding on your behalf. God is one. We talk about the Trinity. He's one. That's why it says about the Spirit, He knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As one, they are all connected. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's why we talked about this verse, but we get the full context of it this morning. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. We can say that because of everything that Paul has said before, because as we look at what God has done for us, for those whom He foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called, and those whom he called, he also justified. And to those whom he justified, he also glorified. What Paul is telling them is our hope rests in God. And if you are of the family of God, you were for. God foreknew you, God predestined you, God justified you because of Christ, and God will 
glorified. And that is something that we can hope and trust in. And it's all because God came in the likeness of man, came being born of a virgin. Let us pray. Father, this morning as we leave to go back to our various homes and go about our day, we pray that your word would continue to work in us. Your word would continue to impact us. Your word would continue to teach us and instruct us that as we talk about hope, the hope we have in you, the hope that is assurance of things to come. And we do not need to worry, as your word tells us, about all of the things in our life. You know what we need. You know what we are experiencing. Would you call us to faith and trust and obedience? We pray that you would find us in that state of faithful obedience, just as you show us your steadfast love that never ends, that continues to endure. And as we eagerly anticipate and await your second advent, Father, we realize that your patience, your long-suffering is for the benefit of us. And it's for the benefit of us because there are those who have yet to call upon you as Lord and Savior, as their Redeemer, to hear the good news, to have the joy that is within us, to be filled with the Spirit of God. We continue to cry out for our families and our friends, our children, our parents, a world that does not know you and that is hostile. Father, we pray your Spirit come. Quicken their hearts. Use us as your instruments. Let us be your mouthpiece. Let us be your hands. Let us be your feet. You equip us for the work you have called us to do. But it requires us, as your word says, to live in the Spirit. To obey the Spirit's leading in our lives. Teach us to listen. Teach us to obey. Be with us as we go. As we continue to celebrate your majesty your glory, and your honor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.